PCOS is not a disease of fertility. It's not just about getting pregnant. PCOS is actually an adolescent disease. It is a disease of your 20s. It's a disease of your 30s. It is a perimenopausal issue. It's even a menopausal issue. It really irks me when people refer to it as just something you have to worry about because you're trying to get pregnant. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Superwoman Wellness. I'm Dr. Taz. I've made it my mission throughout my career in integrative medicine to support women in restoring their health using a blend of Eastern medical wisdom with modern science. In this show, I will guide you through different practices to find your power type and fully embody the healthiest and most passionate version of you. I'm here for you and I can't wait to get started. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Superwoman Wellness, where we're determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. And we're about to break down a topic that you guys probably already know is near and dear to my heart. In fact, it's the very reason that I veered off from emergency medicine and critical care medicine and peds into the world of integrative and holistic medicine. So you probably guessed it, but I brought on an expert in PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. I want you guys to meet Corey Ruth. She's a registered dietitian and nutritionist, a women's health and PCOS expert, and the CEO of the Women's Dietitian. She built her wildly successful brand through social media by supporting women who suffer from polycystic ovarian syndrome. Corey started her journey after years of suffering from her own PCOS diagnosis without any relief. And she also, sick of the one-size-fits-all recovery options, decided to flip the script and dedicated her career to this complex condition. Now she empowers women to take back control of their reproductive and hormonal health through science-backed research, individualized nutrition, and lifestyle changes. And along with her online program and supplement brand, Vita-PCOS, that treats the root cause of this disease's debilitating symptoms. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get started. Yeah, so what's going on? All right, I gotta tell you, in practice, I diagnose more and more and more PCOS with every passing year. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm liberal with my diagnosis because I actually think it's a metabolic and physiologic issue, not a hormone issue, but it continues to be swept under the rug. And, you know, that's my story. These guys have heard it, you know, like I spent a solid five years, you know, being a different version of who I am, you know, with this diagnosis and all the symptoms, but what, tell us what's going on in the landscape of PCOS, what's happening from your perspective perspective and how you even got into this whole journey. Yeah. So, um, well, I'll start from where I kind of decided to get into this field. Um, first of all, when I started my private practice, I thought there's no, the, the only thing that I'm not going to touch with a 30 foot pole is PCOS because it's way too complicated. It's <laughs> way too much going on. Um, and here I am. So, you know, I think just kind of having PCOS myself and understanding what a lack of care there is out there available for us was something that, you know, helped me identify that there's a need, right. And kind of being a dietitian already and knowing the ins and outs of nutrition and the power of it when it comes to helping to support something like PCOS and blood sugar regulation, insulin resistance, all of that kind of swirling together, I think, um, allowed me to step into this space really, really easily. Um, and so I've been doing it for several years. I opened my practice in 20, uh, end of 2018. Gotcha. 
Yeah. Well, what, in your perspective, what are the story? I mean, I can share a couple of mine that mm-hmm. I'm still hearing. Cause remember my journey started 20, how old am I? I'm 50, but my journey started 20, uh, almost 23, 24 years ago. Right. So yeah. even though so much time has gone by, I don't feel like the needle has shifted from what I'm hearing from patients. What are you hearing from your clients in terms of the time to diagnosis and the management of symptoms, sort of the success in that scenario? Yeah, it's kind of all over the board. I mean, a lot of a lot of complaints about uh, needing to get multiple opinions on whether or not they have PCOS. There's also like this mild PCOS title floating around when I guess maybe they're not meeting all of the criteria and doctors aren't sure really where to place that particular patient. Um, but again, I think just overall, just a, a, a big sense of frustration with the time and the energy it takes just to get the diagnosis. Yeah. And then all that. And then we're told take birth control or lose weight or come back when you want to get pregnant. Yes. So frustrating. <laughs> it's really frustrating. And I, and the biggest part of what you just said that I think is so wrong. And I hope everybody out there listening will spread this message. PCOS is not a disease of fertility. It's not just about getting pregnant and how easily you can get pregnant. PCOS is actually an adolescent disease. It is a disease of your twenties. It's a disease of your thirties. It is a perimenopausal issue. It's even a menopausal issue. And our family is testament to that with the you know, 70 plus mom, all the way down to my youngest sister who actually, no, we should go further all the way down. My youngest sister's actually just turned 30. And then my daughter is 14. You see it run through each and every one of us with different presentations and different manifestations. And so it really irks me when people refer to it as just something you have to worry about because you're trying to get pregnant, you know? So, and then, um, you know, one of the things that the American society of endocrinology impressively enough came out with, and I think the year was 2018 or 2019, I'm not hundred percent sure, but they talked about how this is actually a metabolic issue and it's just named wrong, you know? And so when we start thinking about it that way, a lot of the work you do becomes really relevant. So why do you think what's happening there? Why is like nutrition, stress, lifestyle, genetic, like what's happening in that soup, so to speak, that triggers the expression of PCOS? Yeah. Oh gosh. I wish I, I wish I had a more clear answer. I mean, in my, in my opinion, it's um, bodies are changing and they've been changing for decades and, um, I think that can play a role in, you know, there is a weight component. There can be not always, but there can be. So we see that kind of coming into play sometimes. Um, and then I think, you know, there's a big adrenal and stress component and sensitivities to different stressors, especially since I feel like things have also been exploding since the pandemic has happened and more people are stressed out and feeling the effects of that stress. Um, and also diet, our diet has changed a lot over the last I mean, it keeps changing, but, okay. um, you know, the, the heavier reliance on convenience and that's a huge part of our lives just because we're all so busy, um, and not getting the nutrients that we need and relying on just kind of getting more carbohydrates overall, um, and our blood sugar kind of being impacted by that. So I think there's a lot of different moving parts, but those are some things that I can see that are clear areas for me to target as far as someone who works in dietetics and nutrition. So how can I help them change their diet to kind of better optimize their blood sugar function or regulation? And we often see it, we make really good strides, just changing dietary patterns alone, adding in some exercise, we're more sedentary than ever. Um, So adding in some movement, some stress reduction techniques, I mean, it's not rocket science, but 
you know, once you kind of drill it down and help somebody understand and see where they need to go um, in terms of some of those changes, dietary lifestyle, we see really big improvements in PCOS and getting ovulation back on track. Um, that's a huge one. That's one that a lot of women with PCOS struggle with, right? Irregular periods. Um, but also some of the other things, you know, that come to, that come along with elevated androgens. So facial and body hair growth, acne, mm-hmm. hair loss, those types of things can all be helped um, from kind of a dietary standpoint too. So we both know that PCOS isn't really a one size fits all type deal, right? But would you agree that the central tenant is really insulin regulation? Is that really kind of the unifier with all the different patterns? At least that's what my experience has been. Would you kind of agree based on your experience? Yeah. And I think someone doesn't have to have the classic insulin resistance PCOS to still benefit right. from regulation from a dietary standpoint. Yeah. And that's such a great point because I'll say the words insulin resistance, but an A1C will look okay. Or a fasting insulin level would look okay, but there's still a blood sugar issue that you can sometimes pick up maybe on a glucometer, or you can even pick up on more detailed lab work, like fructosamine and some of these other numbers that, that will reveal it. So, so if we think about it that way around blood sugar, what are the most impactful dietary changes And I want to pick your brain about keto too, but what are the most impactful dietary changes you've seen successful for PCOS? Yeah. So I'll start here. There's a lot of buzz about taking out gluten and dairy and some people find that really helpful. Um, But what I see is when people take gluten and dairy out, they eat a healthier diet overall. They're eating less processed carbohydrates. They're eating out less, which means lower caloric intake. Um, They're eating less sweets, dairy, gluten, and a lot of our pastries, our ice creams, things like that. So we kind of see improvements just doing that. Um, In my opinion, not taking out the gluten, the dairy alone, but the effects of what their diet looks like post taking out post elimination. So, um, so you'll hear a lot about that, but it's not essential from what I found. I've treated thousands of women with PCOS at this point and they're all still eating gluten and dairy in moderation. So um, in my practice, in my experience, that's not an essential, but what is essential, what I do find to be the most helpful is really focusing on protein and fiber and fats. And not to say we cannot eat carbohydrates, that's not what that means, Um, but we're just lowering the amount of carbs that we're doing. You know, if we think about, if we go out to an Italian restaurant, we go get uh, breadsticks served to us before we get our meal. We have a salad with croutons. We have pasta. So that's carb, carb, carb. We have a drink. Maybe that's another carb. Then we have dessert. That's a carb. So we're taking in a lot more carbohydrates than we might really realize. So focusing on pairing those down and really making sure we're upping our protein, our fat, our fiber. Fiber is really important too. Um, I find that to be incredibly effective when it comes to this blood sugar balance piece to PCOS. So is there some structure and some rules we can give folks listening? Like, do you tell them to eat every three or four hours? Do you tell, give them a serving size? I mean, some people like macros and numbers. Some people get really overwhelmed by that. You know, what is a little bit of the structure they could start to put in place if they're listening today and they're ready to make some changes? Yeah, so it, it can vary per person, obviously, depending on what their needs are. But kind of generally speaking, I like to recommend um, three meals per day, three smaller meals, and two protein-rich snacks. So if we're looking at down at our plate, we teach kind of the plate method. So if we're looking down at our plate, we want half the food on that plate to be low-starch vegetables. So when I say low-starch, I'm not talking so much about potatoes, sweet potato, corn, 
winter squash, those starchier vegetables. I'm talking about things like think about your greens, right? Your broccoli, your green beans, your Brussels sprouts, but also your peppers, mushrooms, carrots, um, eggplant. So think beyond your greens. So those low starch vegetables are taking up about half the food on your plate. They're high in fiber. They're high in antioxidants. They're high in anti-inflammatory. So they're the star of the show. And I guarantee you, if you go out to a restaurant, you're, it's so uh, it's, it's not going to be common that you'll find plates put together like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So cooking the majority of your meals and snacks at home is something that I always teach in my practice. So we've got half that plate, low starch vegetables. Then we have about a quarter of that plate, a, a source of protein and protein can kind of range. Typically I'll recommend about a four ounce protein size and you can do plant, you know, you can do tofu, you could do um, beans, lentils, you could do um, meat or fish or eggs, whatever sounds good to you. Um, and then you want to have one serving of carb. So when I say one serving, it kind of the portion size can change. Um, but I typically recommend for something like a grain, it would be like a quarter, about a quarter cup cooked. And that's a lot smaller than what we're used to and a lot smaller than what we get served at a restaurant. But remember, we're being really mindful of blood sugar right now. Um, so we have that carb piece in. And the reason why I like to leave carbs on the plate, even if it's a smaller amount, is because when we try to exclude carbs 100% and we go really hardcore, it's really hard to sustain that. And PCOS is something that we can't just focus on and then back off. Our symptoms are going to come back with a vengeance. Yep. So yeah. Something that we have to continuously work on. It's a, it's a learning process. It's a journey, I always say. So, um, so trying to get that carbon in a way that is helpful when, you know, pairing it with a protein, pairing it with fiber, it's all going to help to kind of minimize the potential impact that it has on our blood sugar. So when it comes to that carb, um, if, if you can make it complex, great. That's not the reality all the time, every time, but um, that would be sort of the difference between like white rice and brown rice, right? We pick that more fiberful carbohydrate, that's better for blood sugar and insulin. Um, and then we have our fat on our plate somewhere. Typically fats are easier to get than like a, you know, we have to try very, we don't have to try very hard to get our fat on our plate. A lot of times it's cooked into our food, right? Like if we're sauteing right. Our right. olive oil, it's there. So get that fat in there, but don't feel like you have, especially if you're working on the the weight management piece, don't feel like you have to add a bunch of additional fats because a little goes a long way with those fats. You mentioned non-starchy vegetables. What are some of the starchy vegetables that we could be getting fooled by thinking we're doing vegetables, but they're actually impacting our blood sugar? Yeah. So potatoes, big one, um, sweet potatoes, peas and corn and winter squash is what I practice. And mm-hmm. kind of, so winter squash would be, I always say you can use the fingernail test. So if you can take your fingernail and scratch the skin off like a zucchini, it would not be starchy. It would be something like a low starch summer squash. But if you tried to do that to a butternut squash, right. Yeah. I'm sure. So that's what we would consider to be starchier. That's a good kind of rule of thumb. Awesome. And then what are your favorite? Well, two questions. What are your favorite complex carbohydrates? Cause people hear that all the time and I think they get confused. So give us maybe a few examples of those. And then the follow-up question would be, you know, all of us are busy. This is superwoman wellness. We're running around. Um, what are your favorite protein snacks? You know, people ask me that one all the time. 
Yeah. So complex carbs could be like a brown rice, a cooked quinoa would be a good one. Um, millet, amaranth, any of those grains. You could do like a whole grain bread, whole grain crackers. Um, you could do one of those high starch vegetables could be your complex carb. So if you wanted to do the potato, then have that as your carb instead of your vegetable. So those are a couple examples. Um, what was the other one? The uh, oh, protein rich snacks. Protein rich snacks. Yeah. 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 So snacks are one of those things we want to make it easy on ourselves, right? If we're already cooking for breakfast and we've got dishes in the sink, we've, you know, we're cooking, we're prepping for lunch and dinner, make it easy on yourself. Don't feel like you have to cook something separate for a snack. Um, protein rich snacks, you could do Greek yogurt. That's a great one. If you do plain unsweetened Greek yogurt, add some berries, some, you know, peanut butter, some flax or chia, that's a really good snack. Um, and there's a lot of protein in Greek yogurt. You could do hard boiled eggs. That's another really easy, quick source. You could prep those ahead of time. You could do edamame, you know, steam it with a little sea salt. You could do um, a cheese stick. You could do some grilled chicken wrapped in, like sometimes I'll do like a, a sliced deli turkey and wrap it into a, um, a spear of like cucumber or red pepper. That's an easy thing to put together. Protein bars, there's a million billion out there. Um, but there are some that I like to recommend as far as quick, easy protein. Wait, wait, so I'm going to poke, yeah. like, what are your, because I'm thinking about my daughter too, at the same time, what are your yeah. favorite protein bars? And she's playing sports all the time. So like she could carry a protein bar. She could do the little mm -hmm. Turkey sandwich of some kind. Mm -hmm. She could do, she can't do a lot of nut stuff because there's so much sensitivity amongst kids, you know, with nuts and stuff like that. What else would you recommend her doing? So besides a protein bar or what? Yeah. And well, what are your favorite protein bars and what else would you, would you, what other non-nut ways can she get that protein in? Yeah. Um, so protein bars, I'm trying to think of non-nut protein bars too. That's tough. I would have That's to hard. I know. Yeah. Um, RX bars, they are awesome. They are made with egg whites. So they're a really clean source of protein. You know, you're not, you're not getting into the isolates and all those things. Um, so RX bar or gain has some great ones. Um, love good fats is another favorite macro mm. bar epic. Um, they usually make like meat ones. So like a chop, mm. you could do like if, if she eats me, um, chopstick, like Epic bar, there's like bison venison and they're really clean ingredient, high protein, you know, all uh, so boom, done. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Those are really good. There's something that I discovered recently called bada bean, bada boom, and they're actually roasted fava beans. And it sounds weird, but they have like 20 different flavors that are amazing and they're crunchy. So you kind of get that. Yeah. Yeah. They're individually wrapped. So you're not going to overdo it on the portion. Um, and they're high in protein and high in fiber. So you're not going to be, you know, spiking any blood sugar while you're, you know, in kind of in between meals, you're, you're really kind of keeping things steady Eddie, which is why I like protein rich snacks. And I'm not yeah. a huge fan of intermittent fasting for women with PCOS. Yeah. I've, I tried, I like intermittent fasting every now and then, but honestly it didn't work. I think what really works, I actually protein load in the morning, almost 25 to 30 grams. And that'll keep me stable you know, for a while before, before I get hungry again. And the days I don't get that, I definitely feel, you know, like my blood sugar is kind of all over the place for sure. Yeah. You know, so I, I have to ask you because I think I've had somebody on, I can't remember, but I think I've had somebody on who is a big advocate of keto for something like PCOS. What's your thought there? Yeah. So kind of same thing with removing carbs. Um, the reason why we, I mean, we do have some research, right. That says, 
keto can be helpful for women with PCOS. Um, the problem with some of those studies is that they, they were barely completed by any of the participants because it is so restrictive. Um, there was a, a small sample size. Most of them didn't complete it. And, um, and it is really hard. It's really hard from an everyday typical person, you know, to adhere to that restrictive of a diet. Um, and like I mentioned, you know, PCOS is something we have to keep going with as far as management. Um, so I'd rather have somebody use something or go for something that's more sustainable and not have to get on and off kind of the diet trend train. So, and also with keto, a lot of times, and there's different forms of keto, people have argued with me about that. And that's true, but kind of classic keto, you're, you're very low in fiber and fiber is so important for blood sugar management, obviously digestion. Um, but we really, you know, we want to be getting that fiber and we want to be getting in those foods that give us that fiber because a lot of the times those foods are packed with antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, um, you know, different phytonutrients that are all helpful from a hormonal and, you know, PCOS standpoint. So that's kind of, I, I don't, I tend not to, to get into keto, um, in my practice. Gotcha. And we talk a lot about, you know, diet and how it links back up to the hormonal imbalances. You know, one of the biggest connections between your diet and hormone imbalances is again, the insulin component and then the androgens and how the androgens spike in relationship to what blood sugar is doing. How can women identify that they're having hormone symptoms that may be specific to PCOS? Is there something that they can look for? Yeah. So if someone is experiencing irregular periods, and when I say that, I think a lot of women think that they, their period just goes missing and it's gone. Mm -hmm. And that can, that's true for a lot of women PCOS, but there's no clear PCOS period pattern. Some people can go months and months and months without having any bleeding. Some people are bleeders. They'll bleed all the time. They'll spot intermittently. They'll have, you know, kind of random periods here and there. And some people will just kind of ovulate irregularly. So versus not at all. So there's different patterns. If you're not having a normal period every, you know, whatever we classically define as 21 to 35 days, um, I would definitely consider PCOS for sure to get that looked into. There's other reasons that, you know, that can cause that, but, um, and then are those androgen excess symptoms. So that would be facial and body hair growth, um, uh, hair loss on the head, you know, hair thinning, hair shedding, uh, and then acne. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of, you know, a lot of complaints from client and from patients about, um, fatigue about this is not part of the diagnostic criteria, but we just see that a lot. We see a lot of fatigue cravings. Um, we see a lot of mood issues and that all makes sense. You know, if we're hormone, if our hormones are all over the place, we're not ovulating, everything's kind of in disarray. So we can see that a lot. Um, so pay attention to those things. You can also obviously get, you know, lab work done and get things tested, get a pelvic ultrasound to see if you have polycystic ovaries. Um, pain is not a symptom of PCOS. That's a huge misunderstanding in the PCOS world. Um, you can have ovarian cysts that can rupture and cause pain, but the cysts that are on our ovaries are just basically tiny, immature, underdeveloped follicles. So they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be causing you persistent pain. So I think that's something that women get a lot of, a lot of, there's a lot of confusion around that too. And I think I would add, you don't have to have cysts to have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So many people think, well, I don't have cysts. I had an ultrasound. I'm like, well, it's again, metabolic. It's more looking at all these other patterns that you have to pay attention to. Let's take just a couple of minutes to talk about your program. You've gotten folks pregnant. You've helped them reverse PCOS or at least manage it more efficiently. What's worked? And tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah. So my program, Get Pregnant with PCOS, um, I've been running that about 
uh, probably several times a year since 2019. And that program is specifically focused around fertility. PCOS is the leading cause of infertility. So really addressing the, and the reason why is because of that ovulation piece. So it's helping women to mitigate their symptoms uh, when it comes to PCOS and also to um, maintain consistent regular ovulation and get pregnant. So one of the, one of my favorite parts about that program is the cycle tracking piece. So if we think about the education that we're given, um, at least here in the U S when it comes to our periods, you know, when we're younger, it's pretty minimal. And a lot of us don't even remember what, what the heck it is, you know, by the time we are ready to conceive and we get off birth control and then we discover I have no period or, you know, I have PCOS. So it really helps them to understand, you know, what is my fertile window? When is actually, because we can't get pregnant every day of the month or every day of our cycle. So when is that time to have intercourse and optimize that so that conception can happen. So it's focusing on, you know, the dietary changes when it comes to fertility and PCOS. There's pieces on what foods may be more helpful when it comes to ovulation and egg quality. There's a sperm health section. So it's kind of everything. It's the dietary piece when it comes to balancing blood sugar, introducing, you know, there's no, there's no magic superfood that can get someone pregnant, but, you know, overall kind of optimizing dietary patterns for better fertility with PCOS. So the dietary component, and then also the exercise and movement piece, um, that's huge. You know, a lot of us are really sedentary. We get really gung ho about a hardcore workout program. We get burnt out and then we stop. I see that all the time. So it's helping women to discover, you know, what is a sustainable movement routine that's supportive of PCOS about, you know, blood sugar, um, my adrenals. So it's kind of helping them to develop that plan, something maintainable. There's a digestion piece. There's a stress piece. There's sleep, gut health. Or, and then there's also a libido section, which I like to throw in there too. It's always helpful and fun to have that in there. So it's a, it's really a comprehensive program. Um, and it's been super, super successful. It's my, it's my little baby. Um, and then yeah. I have my PCOS boss Academy, which is focused uh, specifically on PCOS symptom mastery and weight loss. So there's a big weight loss, you know, need, um, in the PCOS community, because a lot of us, when we want to lose weight, we're kind of just given the eat less, move more advice, Ultra, and yeah. but only to a certain degree, you know, we need more, we need to understand how to eat, um, how to eat while also paying attention to our blood sugar, because, you know, there's, there's definitely healthy and not healthy ways to lose weight and that can impact our PCOS. So, um, it's, it's really giving women a customized individualized sort of prescription. And I help them to create certain calculations. I help them learn how to track their, first of all, figure out their macros. How many calories do I need? How do I track that to make sure that I'm on track? How do I eyeball and visualize what needs to be on my plate? How do I create my breakfast, lunch, dinner, and my protein rich snacks? So giving them that customized plan, I have the movement component in there, gut health digestion. I do have a cycle tracking piece that isn't related to fertility, but helping women understand what's happening with my cycle. Um, and, you know, to, to start ovulating, even if fertility is not on the radar. Um, so it's, it's a really wonderful program too. And I've been running that one for a couple of years and it's been super successful as well. Wonderful. Well, so glad that you're out there spreading the message and uh, offering women tools for support and health. I mean, again, I continue to maintain this is the one, one of the most gaslit sort of women's health issues that I see over and over again in practice. And unfortunately, the dialogue and the discourse, I think, conventionally or traditionally still hasn't changed that dramatically. There's some early discussions and we get encouraged 
by things like, you know, reports from the Society of Endocrinology, but the actual practice and delivery of that still has a long way to go. So I'm um, grateful that the world has resources that they can turn to and, and get answers. Cause I know for me, it was, it was an absolute struggle. So thank you so much for reaching out today and sharing some of your wisdom and expertise with us. We appreciate it so much. If folks listening or watching want to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So probably I'm, I'm mostly on Instagram. That's kind of the platform that I'm on the most. It's the women's dietitian. That's my handle. Awesome. Um, and it's kind of the same all around. So TikTok, same thing. My website, www.thewomensdietitian.com. Um, and you can find me there and I'm happy to chat with you. Send me a message, send me an email. Um, and you know, we can talk about what, what the, might, what, what the direction might be for you to go if you're looking for PCOS care. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. And thank you everybody for watching and listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness. Remember to rate and review it and share it with your friends. And I will see you guys next time.